Today, I'm honoured and excited to welcome Dame Stephanie Shirley to speak about her life and her book, Let It Go. Dame Stephanie's story has many strands which, woven together by her courage, determination and resilience, have produced a lifetime of exceptional achievements. In recognition of these, she was appointed Member of the Order of the Companions of Honour in 2017, a membership limited to only 65 individuals globally for her services to the IT industry and philanthropy. A child refugee who at five years old came to England without her parents, Dame Stephanie went on to found an all-woman software company that pioneered remote working and redefined the expectations and opportunities for working women at the time. It was ultimately valued at almost $3 billion and made 70 of her staff millionaires. Since retiring, oh yeah, her work has been in philanthropy with a particular focus on autism and IT. Truly welcome, Dame Stephanie Shirley. If I may dive right in, what motivated you to write the book? That my story would inspire other people. Uh, it's a story of triumph over adversity, uh, and it's not um, unusual in that, but I, I hope to reach particularly women um, to realize that the world is open to us these days, um, that the freedoms that we have are relatively newly and hard won. Um, but today, women have all the opportunities in the world to, to do what they want to do. There's this question, really, of shared experiences. It is a memoir, not an autobiography. An autobiography is a sort of comprehensive overview of their life. A memoir is much more select. Um, it's more personal and reflective, uh, and it's not particularly chronological. I was fascinated by the history part. I, I noticed the stage where you say, I decided to start my own company selling software. That's an uncontroversial sentence written nearly 50 years later. At the time, it sounded mad, which I loved. What advice would you give to your then self now? Oh, I, experience has told me very clearly get some financial backing before you start an organization. Is that a reference to your um, letterhead with freelance programmers with no capitals? <laughs> no capitals at all. Uh, I, it was a little pun that uh, I used. And the freelance came to be a, a, a sort of line and, and the, the grey that was set up to be very masculine looking morphed to, to silver. And eventually we became quite a conventional uh, corporate, perhaps with a few more women in top management, but it was a, became a conventional company, to my regret. Oh, really? Really, to your regret? I, I, I would have seen a, a future more like the John Lewis partnership. When right. I retired, I think it was 34% staff-owned. Um, today, it's 8% staff-owned, so it's gradually uh, going down. But I, I would have hoped for a future like that. When you thought profit sharing or share ownership was the way to go, how does that um, feed into your view of the company's success? Because you did mention that several times about how the kind of collective ideal was a big contributor to the success. Well, the staff had really helped me through the 70s recession. And after that, I've realised very clearly that they should, it was right and proper for them to benefit from the successes that we hoped were coming in the future. It took me 11 years to set up that um, scheme because 
we, we fell outside the existing legislation because our staff were not employed. They were all freelancers. Um, and that gave a different complexion to the organization. Um, I'm enormously proud of um, what, what I did in taking it into co-ownership. And I'm often asked, what am I most proud of? And I always say co-ownership. It was a, quite a struggle. Um, and I think, particularly for startup organizations, for innovative organizations, to share the proceeds with your staff gives an energy to, to the organization that, that, can't, that can't be replicated. And with the uh, recent move to remote working, in many ways, your company, your original concept of people working from home and so on, even though it was with um, letters exchanged to people and one of your uh, team members driving from place to place, perhaps providing a bit of childcare here and there, do you think that the remote working debate is yet over? Because a lot of people are saying, oh, no, go back into the office again. What do you think of that? I think we'll finish up with some sort of hybrid, take the best of both worlds. Uh, there is a lot to be said for home working. It does reduce costs. It does improve quality of life for the individual. Does it improve the quality of the performance? Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, we certainly claim to be 40% more effective um, than other software houses, but that was very peculiar to our software uh, focus. Uh, whether it would apply to other sorts of work, I don't know. So it's, it's an interesting opportunity to, to see how it works in the modern world. And um, any new innovative way is going to, it, it's going to cause problems and confusion in it to begin with. Well, let's see how it settles down. Do you think your motivations for the co-ownership is connected with your um, now passion? And I think always connected in the, your passion with philanthropy. Oh, yes. It's part of philanthropy. People think it's just rich people giving money. But it, it's more a question of sharing um, ideas, contacts. Um, money does come into it. Skills. Uh, these are the things that make a, a philanthropist and a venture philanthropist. I'm always looking for opportunities to uh, make the world a fairer place by changing the way in which people address issues. I very much liked your quote uh, from Carnegie, I think it was, uh, the man who dies rich dies disgraced. And I was very moved by the last chapter, particularly on Let It Go. What would you say would be the one thing, if I can pin it down, the one thing you'd like readers to take away from reading the book? That it'll be all right in the end. For all the trials and tribulations of, of your yes. life story. Yes. And would you start a software company now? Oh, I'd love to. Um, I'm technically incompetent to do so, but uh, uh, yes, I would love to be be involved peripherally, if not not directly. Oh, there's an offer out there, folks. First one at the queue. <laughs> And what would you say is the biggest failing for my audience in marketing for software? Oh, software developers are all far, far too clever. They they really concentrate on, on the how and the what rather than the why. And um, software has so much to offer um, today's society that it, one really needs to concentrate on why somebody should purchase this software, what it can do for them, what are the benefits, what indeed are the risks, but basically the why.
Thank you so much. So your philanthropic work, any particular area you'd like to direct people to? I'm all for giving a plug. The fundraising that I do today, I've just given a million pounds to Autistica. And this is, <clears throat> this is one of the, the three autism charities I've set up. Autistica funds <clears throat> and lobbies for medical research into autism. This is desperately needed because there's so much misunderstanding about autism and people thinking it's caused by this, that or the other, whereas the real problem is how to deal with it. It remains for me to say thank you so much to Dame Stephanie Shirley, sometimes Steve, but now companion of honour, remarkable life story and for everybody listening to this podcast i highly highly recommend let it go thank you so much for spending your time with us it's been a great pleasure you can learn more about steve shirley at her website steveshirley.com and of course the book the tremendous book let it go is available from amazon and all good bookshops thank you for listening <laughs>